0: Hello from ABA Mid-Year Meeting 2017 in Miami, Florida. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Marie Trouts, Director of Practice and Professionalism for the American Immigration Lawyers Association.
1: I'm Judge Dana Lee Marks, President of the National Association of Immigration Judges. And I'm Esther
2: Oliveria, formerly with the Department of Homeland Security.
1: And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network.
0: And we're back. I have another esteemed panel. I've been very lucky at this ABA mid-year meeting with interviews, and so we've got a special treat today. So uh, obviously, there's been a lot in the news uh, regarding immigration, and it seems like everywhere you turn around, we're hearing about executive orders, we're hearing the term sanctuary city, we're hearing uh, travel bans, and it's everywhere you turn. There's something going on, and so. There was a speaking session, uh, a panel event at uh, the ABA mid-year meeting. It was titled, The First 100 Days Immigration at a Crossroads lives in the balance and i have three experts on the topic here joining me today but first we need to do something up front for judge dana lee marks
1: right it's important that people are aware that i'm speaking today in my capacity as president of the national association of immigration judges and that none of the opinions i have necessarily reflect any official position of the united states department of justice or any of its components
0: thank you for joining us thank you so I have another treat. So a lot of our podcast shows, the ones our favorite, sometimes the best things happen by accident. And we are dealing with one of those accidents right now in a good way. So Reed Trout, he's an expert. He's coming to the microphone to give us a hand with this. It's not my area of expertise, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Lawrence. Appreciate being here. And and it is great because I attended that session
3: this morning, and I, I learned a great deal. And I think that you know the outpouring that we're hearing, not only here at the ABA mid-year meeting, but over the past week or more from lawyers all across the country who are very interested in immigration, they're very interested in what's happening to their country. They're concerned about what's going on and you know, the panel of today address that. And I think the biggest things of course are the executive orders that have been released so far.
0: Okay. So I think we should do just a, a brief, kind of catch everybody up. I know there's so much going on. And you know I know since I, when we were traveling to Miami, I was in a little bit of a news hole. And so I'm surprised when I wake up and look at the news. And so I think what we, we should start at the beginning. So what's been going on in immigration for the last 20, 30 days?
3: Well, with the new administration and the campaign promises, they said they would come out of the gate and they have. And the first real examples of that were the three executive orders. And Esther, can you kind of give us a quick synopsis of what those each kind of do?
2: Sure. There were three orders that were issued. One focused on border security. It calls for the construction of a wall across the 2,000 miles of the southern border of the United States. Um, We currently have 650 miles of border construction there, so it would almost triple that amount, um, more than triple that amount. It calls for something called nationwide expedited removal, and this would basically anyone who has been in the country for two years or less would be subject to being placed in proceedings to remove them from the country immediately in an expeditious fashion without consulting with an immigration judge or with an attorney without having a case before an immigration judge and then the hiring of substantial additional border patrol agents and um, immigration enforcement agents The second one focuses on interior enforcement and it basically says that anyone in the U.S. who is removable is now a priority for removal. So we are talking about basically 11 million people now being priorities for removal. This is in stark contrast to the priorities that were put in place by the Obama administration which focused on convicted felons, national security threats, and individuals who are recent border entrants. And then the third one is the one that's gotten the most publicity, and that's the one that creates... Um, A travel ban um, on basically Muslim countries, seven countries, all um, individuals coming in as immigrants or non-immigrants, visitors, students, workers, and people who recently received um, or are coming in as initial green card holders are banned from coming in. And and it suspends the refugee program for 120 days for all nationalities except Syrians, which are suspended indefinitely.
0: Okay, so the uh Back to the session that you were part of, I mean, we've got a little bit of a wind-up here now. We're at the 20-so days mark here, and the title of your presentation was called The First 100 Days Immigration at a Crossroads, Lives in the Balance. And so, obviously, there's a lot going on. Reed, you were sharing with us earlier that it was a pretty passionate uh, exchange going on during that session. So, I guess I'm looking for volunteer. Can we, can we get into some of the topics discussed in some of the exchanges?
1: Well, although our topic was supposed to be the first 100 days, we were commenting on how the first two weeks has (laughs) been an incredible whirlwind. It's caught many people by surprise because there have been more than 50 court challenges already, predominantly just on the refugee admissions and uh, lawful permanent resident and uh, non-permanent resident admissions from the uh, seven specifically named countries. There are general constitutional questions that are raised about these executive orders that include due process clause, equal protection clause, establishment clause, infringement accusations regarding free speech and association rights. But as an immigration lawyer, which is a very narrow pond, not well understood outside its own parameters, we are very concerned and believe a lot of challenges will continue to come as to where these orders are consistent or worse inconsistent with the existing statutory scheme. And I'm not speaking from a political point of view of whether these are what the American public wants or doesn't want, whether they're wise or unwise. The real issue is from a practical point of view, what are the challenges to implementation? And there are tremendous challenges.
2: And if I could add, the way that these orders were written were so different from the way prior government actions are usually written. Generally, it's over a long period of time with extensive consultation with the departments that are responsible for implementing these orders. Um, There are conversations that are had with uh, the attorneys, with the policy experts, and with the individuals who, who understand the operational implications of carrying out these orders. Now, setting aside whether you agree with these orders or not, none of that was done. So all of the government employees now that are tasked with implementing these are scrambling to understand what exactly does this mean?
3: and also wanted to raise and and I think Judge you did this uh, in the panel is what are the practical things that are going to happen within the immigration court system you know based on what we're seeing in the, this uh increase in detentions and the move towards more immediate deportations
1: The immigration courts are incredibly overworked and under-resourced We currently have a pending backlog of more than 533,000 cases that are being heard by roughly 300 immigration judges. The average caseload of most judges is in the uh, 1,500 to 2,500 range. To give you some comparison, federal district court judges who do a very similar job to what we are doing, trial level hearings, they have a pending caseload on average of 440 pending cases. I have, for example, one half of a judicial law clerk to assist me in my job. That's very common across our system. District court judges have two, three, sometimes even four full-time attorneys to help them in doing that. So there are tremendous logistical pressures in terms of caseload. The Executive orders also put a very clear emphasis on a desire to have people who are allegedly here In violation of status, to have those people detained during the process while they have their legal rights determined by an immigration court judge. We have inadequate detention facilities now. It's going to require a huge infusion for infrastructure, for technology, such as the digital audio recording that's needed to capture the hearings. We do many of our hearings by uh, video teleconferencing if it's a remote location and the executive order directs that the bulk of resources be along the southern border of the United States. So there is this huge component about infrastructure and hiring, no mention was made of additional immigration judges although the executive orders mention hiring 5000 new border patrol officers and 10000 new immigration officers to handle the related duties so we're very much still in the wait and see mode of how this will roll out
0: and i know there's uh, you know some differences of opinion on what the united states immigration policy should be but i do think that one area i think everybody agrees is that uh, you know with the unaccompanied minors coming over and the situation there, I think most Americans, I would probably put that, oh, well over 90% do care what happened to them. And so was was there any discussion of that during your presentations?
1: There has been an internal change in the prioritization of cases within the immigration courts. Since 2014, we had been instructed by the Department of Justice, where we are a component, to prioritize the cases of recent entrance. And that included unaccompanied minors, as well as families with children. Now, I believe as a first step to accommodate what the changing priorities are going to be of this new administration, we are told to have as a number one priority immigrants who are detained. Now, a subset of those who are detained are unaccompanied juveniles who are under the supervision of the Department of Health and Human Services or the Office of Refugee Resettlement. So a small portion of those recently arrived minors will be expedited. But besides that, the general focus on expediting the hearings of recent arrivals seems to be fading.
0: What's the current trend on those? I mean, I know for a while there was quite an influx of miners coming over the southern border in particular. And so are we trending back up?
1: Where are we at with that? We are trending back up. To my understanding, the trend has continued. There was a brief dip Mm -hmm. in 2015. Mm
2: -hmm. But the numbers have gone up. I can't tell you what they are this week specifically, Mm -hmm. but the trend has been up because the conditions in those countries remain um, terrible. People are fleeing the gang violence, the drug-related violence in those countries.
3: And domestic violence. We have a project mm-hmm. in Dilley, Texas, in which we provide pro bono legal services to many of these women with children coming across the border. And the stories are horrific, but it's not covered in our newspapers, so people don't really understand the dire circumstances which many of them are
0: fleeing. That's really interesting. I had a conversation. It was a uh, an off-the-record conversation, uh, I won't reveal the source, but they were talking about, uh, you know, it, I think some of the, the difficulty in documenting that is that people don't really hang out by the border when they cross, you know, they're going into other places, other locations within the country. So I think that's that's a tough one to, to get figures on.
2: But in the case, it's important to point out, in the case of these unaccompanied minors from the three Central American countries and the families coming in, basically it's women with small children, they are turning themselves in to, deportation officials and seeking, you know, asking for asylum. Um, They're not people that are trying to evade apprehension. So this important distinction to understand. And we
3: have been uh, representing them through that asylum process. And and we have a, a significant success rate. There are legitimate asylum claims that are coming through many of the women, the vast majority of them, at least so far. And so we know that there are people that You know they're not here to evade they're here to escape their own circumstances and that's the country we've always been we've accepted these people throughout our history and we shouldn't change that it's part of who we are as a country
1: many people don't understand that immigration proceedings in general are considered civil in nature so there's no right to appointed counsel there's only right to an attorney if you can afford to pay for one or if volunteers are available That said, in New York, for example, where they are providing, the city of New York is providing funding for incarcerated non-citizens in order to give them lawyers, they found that those individuals are 10 times more likely to be able to demonstrate that they qualify for some benefit under the immigration law than they would be without representation.
3: Esther, we have we expect some more executive orders. We expect some more change and disruption in the immigration system. Can you outline briefly what we expect over the coming weeks and months?
2: Yes, there are four other orders that have been leaked in draft form. We don't know whether they, in fact, will be signed or not. But um, one would end the what's called the DACA program, the Deferred Action Program for Children. These are young people who came here under the age 16, have graduated from high school, have basically lived... Here in the U.S., it's the only country that they know. So it would end a program that gives them work permits. The second one um, would create a registry program for individuals, certain individuals from Arab and and Muslim countries, a program that was put in place right after 9-11 and completely discredited by law enforcement and and intelligence experts as counterproductive to national security. The third would make sweeping changes to our legal immigration system, especially with respect to employment-based immigration. These would be petitions that employers here in the U.S. are, are trying to bring in legal workers to come in when they can't find U.S. workers to do the job. And the fourth one would revamp um, provisions dealing with access to public benefits by immigrants. And again, make very, very sweeping changes with respect to who is eligible and who is not.
3: So Lawrence, it's easy to see that you know lawyers who deal with due process and fundamental rights and the rule of law are concerned with these of sweeping changes, these massive changes, maybe the incompetent rollout, if I can say that, and it's causing lawyers to say, we need to take a closer look at this, and then what can we do? So we know that people in all communities, lawyers in all communities can help because, you know, these are our neighbors. These are people that have, have been in our country, They we work with them. But because the immigration system now wants to change, those people will be subject to to legal proceedings of some sort, in some in very innocuous ways, which you don't expect, like people who were traveling out of the country recently and they're, you know, legal permanent residents, they've had green cards for decades, and now they're caught up in this. And there's just something that's that's wrong about that. So lawyers are asking, what can they do to help? Where can they sign up? Kind of what can they do? Well, as I think we've pointed out today. Yes, it would be good to be an immigration attorney and I'll, I'll point those, some resources out in a minute. But there are legal issues here that deal with constitutional issues with legal interpretation issues of, of statutes that many lawyers can handle, many litigators can handle and they should, you know, tune into this. If they want to read more about these executive orders, I encourage all interested lawyers to read the executive orders. We have them published on our website that's aila.org, a i l a.org. And we also have done with the American Immigration Council a synopsis of the legal issues involved in those orders. So that's a starting place for them. And then to talk to members of their bar on a local or state level or at the ABA level and say, you know, is this the direction we want America to go and what can we do to help shape this into, uh, you know, that follows the rule of law and the Constitution? But if they also want to get involved in immigration, We are, as an association, I mean, it is part of our mission to train lawyers. You know, we are a national voluntary bar, but you know, we are 14,000 members strong. But we welcome others. We are making training materials available. We are making resources available on our website, again, ALA.org, for people to do that. Also, check with your state bar and the ABA. There are plenty of resources that people are now linking to that have been there or recently created, but can help lawyers get a better sense of the background of this so they can choose their direction where they want to volunteer and move forward and just lastly on that point we're trying to raise a website we're pursuing a project that will provide access to justice for a lot more immigrants and we're doing that we haven't gotten the website up yet but if people wanna get their name in and we'll start communicating with them they can send an email to lawyervolunteer volunteer at ala.org lawyer volunteer at aila aila.org We're going to put them in a database and we're going to make sure that they can find something to do. Maybe not today or next week, but very shortly because there's plenty of legal issues here.
2: I just want to add a couple of other things that the lawyers can do right now. In every locality, there are nonprofit legal organizations that struggle to represent the people that need services right now. That number of people that are going to need services is going to mushroom. So you can volunteer with these organizations. You can contribute money to these organizations. The other thing that you could do is, as Judge Marks said, there there is no federal funding for immigration lawyers, but you can try to persuade your local governments, your state and local governments to allocate money for representation. And we've seen New York do this. We've seen Chicago, San Francisco, LA, and other localities are doing this. More localities need to do this. And
3: we're hearing of a lot of counties. It's two dozen and more now. Mm -hmm. It's starting to blossom. But yes, talk to your local representatives. You know, send an email to your your representatives in Congress. They follow these things and they want to know what their constituents are feeling. There's many online petitions people can sign, but be a part of it. Be a part of how this change happens and, and really
0: how it affects the direction of our country. Well, I just have one more question for everybody before we close out this interview today. And so I know we've already exchanged a little bit of uh, contact information. That's generally our last question on this show. But uh, I want to give you one more opportunity uh, to do that, just uh, in case someone didn't get their pen and paper out uh, before. But I wanted to give everybody the opportunity to make a closing statement just based on what we talked about today. And then uh, go ahead and feel free to, to give your contact information one more time. And I think we should start with Your Honor, and we should Thank start you. with Judge Marks.
1: So you want to go to the website of the National Association of Immigration Judges, naij USA.org. We have lots of information there, publications and newsroom tabs in particular, because our ultimate goal is to have the immigration courts elevated to be an Article One court system to make sure that they are not impacted by being in a political branch of the United States government. We're currently housed in the Department of Justice, and immigration judges by statute are attorneys appointed by the Attorney General to serve as judges. We believe that means we're judges once we're appointed, but the Department of Justice holds us to the standard of lawyers, which means if we do not follow the direct instructions of our supervisors, we can be held in subordinate, be disciplined, and maybe even eventually dismissed. So as part of thinking about the structure of our immigration court system, in general and the importance that it holds, we're asking people to join in that campaign as well. So please contact our website.
3: I'll just say that immigration legal work hasn't always been that respected by the entire bar. But I will tell you that if lawyers wanna get involved, if they wanna help shape change, they wanna represent one or more immigrants or immigrant families in their legal worlds, they will change their lives, but I will also guarantee that as lawyers, their lives will be changed as well. And Esther?
2: I would echo that sentiment. Representing an immigrant or, or an asylum seeker can be some of the most rewarding work a lawyer can ever do because you truly are changing lives. And, and becoming involved now more than ever is so important at so many levels, whether it's in litigation, in individual representation, or through advocacy at your state and local level or federal level is critical.
0: Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us today and also our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard today, please rate us at iTunes. Until next time, we'll see you on the road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com.